Heavenly Father, it is a great privilege to know that you are a God who speaks. But Lord, so often we do not have ears to listen. And so, Lord, we pray that as we come before you now, we may say in our hearts, speak, Lord, for your servants are listening. And so, Lord, we pray that you would open our eyes to understand the things that you have taught in your word so long ago, and may we apply them to our hearts even now. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, we've come to Romans chapter 6, breaking out of our series in Hosea, uh, because, of course, today is a special day where we see Josh Parker baptised at our church. And Romans chapter 6, particularly the first few verses, has quite a bit to say about the subject of baptism. So I thought we'd come to this passage and look at it together. But we must understand, if we're to understand Romans chapter 6, what has come previously in the book of Romans. And Paul has basically been making a cumulative case uh, for quite a few chapters in the beginning of Romans that all people are sinners. Everybody has sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. It doesn't matter whether you're a Jew or a Gentile. Everybody is a sinner. And everybody is only saved then, not by the works of the law, but by the righteousness of Jesus Christ. By faith in Jesus Christ, people are saved. If you believe in Jesus Christ, then... His righteousness is imputed to you. And so Paul has been making this case again and again that we are saved by God's grace. It is only by faith in Jesus Christ that we can be saved. And so then we come to Romans chapter 6, and Paul seeks to answer an objection that people might make. And that is what verse 1 has for us. Verse 1 has a question that Paul raises. Chapter 6, verse 1, I encourage you to look at it with me now, which is found on page 1116 of the Black Church Bibles. Romans chapter 6, verse 1, where Paul says, What shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? What is the question saying? The question is saying, well, if we're saved by God's grace, then should we not just go on sinning because every time we sin, God's grace makes up for the sin and so we can sin as much as we like and God's grace will continue to abound and we don't have to worry about the sin that we commit anymore. Now, this may be a serious question that someone's actually asking. Can I go out and sin as much as I like as a Christian uh, and God's grace will continue to cover me? Or it may be someone is actually raising the question to make a mockery of salvation by grace, saying, how could you believe that you're saved simply by trusting in Jesus Christ? Because if that was the case, then you could just go out and sin as much as you like, and it would be all okay. And I've had people say that to me. As soon as I know that when I'm witnessing to someone and they then raise that question, that they understand what I'm teaching in the gospel, that the gospel is... You are saved by grace alone. It's not about your works, it's about the work of Jesus Christ. Because if they then ask that question, well, that means I can go out and murder someone, and God's grace will extend over that, then why would you believe that this is true? That can't be right. And so it may be that someone's raising it as a serious objection, or they may be raising it as a mockery of the salvation that we know by grace, the glorious gospel of Jesus Christ. So what is Paul's answer to this question? What does Paul say? Well, he tells us in verse 2, by no means. He's saying no way can this be true, that you should go on sinning so that grace may increase. And why is that? Well, he goes on to say, verse 2, he says, by no means we died to sin. How can we live in it any longer? 
Paul says if you are a Christian, then you have actually died to sin, which means you can't live in it any longer. And we understand that concept of death, don't we? That when something dies, it means it's no longer able to do what it previously used to do. If a person dies, they no longer live the life that they once lived. If an animal dies, that animal no longer lives the life it once lived. And we see this with different things even today, particularly with the advent of electricity. We have many deaths in our home, and particularly the deaths of different toys. I've got two children, and they both have many toys. Not that we buy them many, but they just seem to accumulate. Uh, People give them to you. Uh, Grandparents are very generous. And everything these days seems to be electronic. I've actually become, since I've been a father, a bit of an expert on batteries, different types of batteries. There's all kinds of batteries out there, different rechargeable batteries, and then you've got smart chargers, and you can actually, and knowing what voltage and how many milliamps are in a battery, I've become quite an expert on these because I'm changing batteries all the time in our house, and it's important to me to know exactly what I'm putting into these toys. But sometimes, it doesn't matter how much the child loves the toy, the toy dies, and it's no longer able to do what it used to do. The little whistles that it used to make, the way it used to talk, or the lights that used to flash on it, they no longer work, and it's not a matter of batteries anymore. The toy is dead, and it can't do what it used to do. And that is what Paul is saying here when he speaks about our sin. He says in verse 2, "'We died to sin, how can we live in it any longer?' If you are dead to sin then you shouldn't be functioning as a sinner anymore. You shouldn't be living as a sinner. Instead, that life of sin has been put away. It has died. Now, you may be sitting here this morning and saying, but I haven't died as a Christian. Have I actually died? No, you're very much alive. You're sitting here this morning, and you can't remember a time where you actually died. Otherwise, you wouldn't be here. But Paul says that the Christian has indeed died. How has a Christian died? Well, it's in the death of Jesus Christ. And that's what he goes on to say in verse 3. He says, Or don't you know that all of us who were baptised into Christ Jesus were baptised into his death? We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. Paul is clear to the Christians. He says, Don't you know, don't you remember that you were baptised into Christ's death, that you have died with Jesus Christ, that when Jesus was crucified at the cross, you were crucified along with him. When Jesus was put into the grave, you were put into the grave as well. And when Jesus came back to life, you came back to life with him as well. And so Christians are the living dead. They're people who have died with Jesus. And now, therefore, they should live a new life that is very different from the life that they once lived. They've died with Jesus, and now they live with Jesus, a new life. And that's what he goes on to say. Verse 5, it says in Romans chapter 6, verse 5, look with me now, if we have been united with him like this in his death, we will certainly also be united with him in his resurrection. For we know that our old self was crucified with him, so that the body of sin might be done away with that we should no longer be slaves to sin because anyone who has died has been freed from sin. You've been freed from sin by your death. You've been crucified with Jesus and now you are raised with Jesus. 
And that's what he goes on to say in verses 8 and following. It says, now if we died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. We've been resurrected with Jesus Christ as well. Verse 9, for we know that since Christ was raised from the dead, he cannot die again. Death no longer has mastery over him. The death he died, he died to sin once for all, but the life he lives, he lives to God. Jesus died and was raised and he lives a new life. And that is what has happened to the Christian as well. If you believe in Jesus Christ, then you are crucified with Jesus, you're buried with Jesus, but you're also raised to a new life. And what should that life look like? Well, it should not be a life that goes on sinning so that grace may increase, as the question was proposed in verse 1. Now, what should the life look like? Well, Paul goes on to say in verses 11 through to 14, In the same way, count yourselves dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its evil desires. Do not offer the parts of your body to sin as instruments of wickedness, but rather offer yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and offer the parts of your body to him as instruments of righteousness. For sin shall not be your master because you are not under law, but under grace. Do you see what Paul is saying? The question is raised, shouldn't we just go on sinning so that grace may increase? And he says, no, don't you understand what has happened to you if you're a believer in Jesus Christ? You have died. Your old self died with Jesus at the cross. Your old self was buried with Jesus when he was put in that tomb. And now you've been raised to new life. And that new life should be one of righteousness. You should be offering your body for righteousness, not for wickedness. That was what your old self was. It was an instrument of wickedness. Your new self is an instrument of righteousness. And this is wonderful news. The fact that we have died to sin is a death that we should rejoice about. There's very few deaths in this world that we actually rejoice about. Death of an animal, death of a person that we love, death of people that we don't even know overseas, we hear reports of. They fill us with sadness. There's very few deaths that we actually rejoice about. But the death of Jesus Christ is a death that we should rejoice about. Far greater than the death that I rejoice about in our home of different toys that I don't particularly like. When I was a child, I never really understood why my father hated certain toys in the home, particularly the most noisy ones. But once I've become a father, I understand now. And sometimes toys I'm quite glad about when they're dead and we have to get rid of them because there's no longer that noise made around the home. I rejoice about those deaths, but I rejoice about the death of myself to sin even more. It is a death worth rejoicing over because we are no longer alive to sin. Instead, we are alive to righteousness. But what does that have then to do with Josh's baptism today? Why would we be looking at this passage because Josh is getting baptised. Well, I must be clear that Josh is not getting baptised today so that he will die to sin and be buried with Jesus and be raised with Jesus. It is not as though baptism, the water baptism here today, will cause those things to happen. Paul has been very clear in his teaching earlier that we're saved by faith. It's all by grace. It's not by works. And if we claim that water baptism puts someone to death, buries them and raises them, then we're introducing a work, aren't we? We're introducing a new law, that it's by baptism that we are saved. 
rather than by the death of Jesus Christ. And we should be very careful about ever taking the focus off the death of Christ. That is where our glory is, is in the death of Jesus Christ, not in our baptism, our water baptism. But instead, the baptism, the water baptism that we undergo as Christians, is about what we have already experienced in Jesus Christ. And the baptism reminds us of what we have experienced in Jesus Christ. And that's why verses 3 and 4 seem to speak of baptism as a way of salvation, as a way of putting someone to death in Jesus Christ. Look with me at the verses again. It says in verse 3, Or don't you know that all of us who were baptised into Christ Jesus were baptised into his death? We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. Now, why does Paul speak in these terms? Well, it's because baptism closely followed conversion, particularly in the New Testament era. In the early church, when someone believed, they were baptised. And so it was so closely connected that a believing Christian was, of course, a baptised Christian. And an unbaptised Christian was a bit of an absurdity. Everyone who was a Christian was baptised. And so Paul then speaks about the baptism of Christians in this way. Because he knows that baptism is really a perfect illustration as to what has happened to the believer. And this is one of the reasons why I'm so convicted about baptism is supposed to be by immersion. Because it's such a perfect illustration of what has happened to the person in Jesus Christ. If baptism is anything other than immersion, I think it loses the force of the illustration that is given here for us in Romans chapter 6. What happens when we do baptism by immersion? Well, there's a three-step progress that we take as we are baptised. And it's the same three steps that are spoken of of Jesus and his work here on earth. When you are baptised, you go down into a deathly place. You can't survive underwater for very long. And some people are quite scared of water. I mean, I'm scared of water to a certain extent. I can't swim for an extended period of time. Yes, I can swim. But after a while, in water, it becomes quite a hostile place to me. And there's some people who are frightened of water altogether. I've had one baptism that I've done here, and it was hard work getting the guy. I almost had to push him under. He was really scared of water. He'd never been in a large body of water since he was eight years old and almost drowned. But he recognised that his fear of disobeying God was a worse thing than his fear of water. And so he was willing to be baptised. But it's quite a deathly place. And that reminds us of the death of Jesus Christ. We go down into a deathly place and we're buried by the water, just as Jesus was buried in the tomb. As you go deep down into the water, you're buried underneath it. And then when you come back up out of the water... You take a fresh breath and there's new life, just as Jesus came out of the tomb. And so, one of the reasons Josh is getting baptised today is so that Romans 6 can remind him of what has happened to him and then, therefore, because of what has happened to him in Jesus' death, he should not go on sinning so that grace may increase. That's what the text is saying. Look with me again at verse 3. It says, Or don't you know that all of us who were baptised into Christ Jesus were baptised into his death? We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead 
Through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. For the rest of his life, for Josh's life, he will be able to look back upon his baptism. Pretty much every time he reads Romans 6, Paul's words will apply to him. He will be able to consider his baptism, the day of his baptism today, and think, yes, that baptism reminds me of what I am, that I am someone who has died to sin, been buried with Jesus, and has come to new life. And so I should not go on sinning so that grace may increase. And so the baptism of Josh today is not ultimately about baptism. It's really a God-given reminder that is being granted to Josh today of his death with Jesus Christ so that he can be reminded of his death in the future with a view to not sinning so that he can remember that he is a new creature in Jesus Christ. Now, what about you if you're a Christian and you're here this morning? Do you remember that you're dead to sin? Or do you look very much alive to sin? If someone was to look at your life, particularly just even over the last week, would they think you're dead to sin? If they got to see everything you did, everything you thought, everything you said, would you look dead to sin? Do you reflect on your baptism as a reminder of your death with Christ to sin? Do you remember that you have been crucified with Christ, buried with Christ, and raised with Christ, and your baptism showed that maybe many, many, many years ago, Do you hold your baptism as a special God-given reminder not to sin as you did before you were a Christian? Particularly when you read Romans 6, verses 1 through to verse 4, do you get that reminder again? I was baptised so that I would not go out and sin, so that I would have that reminder of who I am in Jesus Christ, that I'm no longer a slave to sin but instead a slave to righteousness. I have a new life in Jesus Christ. Are you making the most of your baptism if you are a Christian here this morning? If you look over your last week and see yourself giving yourself over to sin again and again, is it because you don't reflect enough on your baptism and what it meant about Christ's death for you? Should you be making a renewed interest in your baptism in the weeks to come? so that you do not live a life to sin. And if you're an unbaptized Christian and you're here this morning, I ask you, what relevance does this verse have for you? As I said before, an unbaptized Christian was such an anomaly in the early church that Paul could speak in this way. But then people, because we've extended the time between conversion and baptism so far away from one another, that people have started to look at a verse like verses 3 and 4 and start to think, Oh, baptism actually saves. That it's by baptism you're crucified with Christ. It's by baptism that you're buried with Christ. It's by baptism that you're raised to new life. If you're not a believer, if you are a believer and you're not baptised, I fear that Romans 6 is lost on you. Then when you read verses 3 and 4, you've got nothing to say. You've got nothing to reflect on. How can you take Paul's word seriously when you know that your baptism didn't symbolise what has happened in Christ, because you've never actually had one. Do you realise that you're missing out on a God-given reminder 
of your death with Christ so that you don't sin. This is part of the reason I'm very keen at Vermont Baptist here to see Christians baptised relatively soon after their conversion. Once you see signs that they are indeed soundly converted, we at Vermont Baptist should offer such converts baptism quickly and not delay unnecessarily because the benefit of your baptism as a reminder of your death in Christ and a reminder then you should not sin is too great, too precious a thing to miss out on. We shouldn't delay baptism for years as some people do. No, it is too good a reminder as to what has happened to you in Christ Jesus. So if you're an unbaptized believer and you're here this morning, I ask you, why is that? Don't you rightly feel a little bit left out When you read Romans 6, when he says, or don't you know in verse 3 that all of us who are baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? He says, don't you know? And then, oh, I haven't been baptized, so I can't apply this to my life and be reminded of my death with Christ and my need to live for righteousness rather than unrighteousness. But maybe you're here this morning and you're not baptized because you're not actually a believer. And if that is you, I want you to forget all about water baptism for now. And even forget about Josh's water baptism that's coming up. I'm sure he wouldn't mind. What you need to focus on is the fact that you're still alive to sin. Very much alive to sin. The things that Paul speaks about here in Romans chapter 6, about what Christians are dead to, they apply to you because you've never actually trusted in Jesus Christ. Paul says in verse 12 about Christians that they should not let sin reign in their mortal bodies so that they obey its evil desires. If you're not a Christian, then the reverse of that verse applies to you. You are letting sin reign in your mortal body so that you do obey its evil desires. And when Paul says in verse 13 that the Christians should not offer the parts of their body to sin as instruments of wickedness, but rather offer themselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life. The reverse of verse 13 applies to you if you're not a believer. You are offering the parts of your body to sin as instruments of wickedness. You're a wicked person, is what Paul is saying, if you're not a believer. And you're not offering yourself to God, the God who made you, That is where you stand this morning if you are not a believer in Jesus Christ. And that means that you are alive to sin and facing the terrible wrath of God because of your sin. One day you will die an earthly death and then you will be punished with an eternal death because that is the wages of sin. That is what Paul says in verse 23 of Romans chapter 6. Just a few verses down. We haven't read it this morning there, but it's right there in the text there. If you look down with me, Romans chapter 6, verse 23, it says, For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Now, I know in our country, Australia, our government does not have capital punishment anymore. There are no transgressions of the law of this land that can lead to you being put to death by the government. But that does not mean that there is no capital punishment in Australia. There is a God who reigns supreme and he still exercises capital punishment in this country. And it happens every time someone dies. That is a capital punishment being put upon someone for their sin. 
And then there's a capital punishment that happens for eternity in hell. And that is what you are facing if you're not a believer in Jesus Christ this morning. You are still alive to sin and you're very much open to the wrath of God descending upon you. But there's an alternative open to you right now this morning. By faith, you can die to sin. You can be crucified with Jesus many years ago. That death that he died can be applied to your heart today. You can be buried with Christ. You can be raised with Christ even now which means you no longer face God's wrath for your sin because Christ faced the wrath of God at the cross. Your body of sin can be done away with so that you're no longer a slave to sin. You can be freed from sin so that sin no longer reigns in your body. You can stop obeying evil desires and offer your body as an instrument of righteousness instead of increasing wickedness. So if that is you, you're here this morning and you're very much alive to sin, realise what is going on in your life, in your body. And I encourage you, die today to that sin by faith in Jesus Christ. Don't delay another day. Come to Christ and really live. A life of sin is no life. It brings increasing pain. The devil lies to you that it is a life that is of joy and that hell will be fun. It's not true. He's been a liar from the beginning to Adam and Eve and to all of Adam's race. Not true. Die to sin today by faith in Jesus Christ. And for all eternity, you'll be very thankful for this day. When you were crucified with Christ and were raised with him to live a new life a life of righteousness rather than a life of wickedness. Let us come to God in prayer. Let's speak with him. Heavenly Father, we must confess that we do not live as we should. But Lord, we thank you that you give us a baptism to remind us this means of grace that we can be reminded that we have died to sin and we should not live in it any longer. Oh Lord, Remind us continually of our death to sin in the death of Christ and do this so that we may offer ourselves to you as instruments of righteousness. And Lord, we ask that you would convict anyone here who has never died to sin, has never died with Jesus Christ, been crucified with him, has never been buried with him and raised with Christ. Oh Lord, we pray that you would help them to see their wickedness in all its awfulness and to see the wrath that you have towards them because of their life of sin. And so, Lord, we pray that you would bring them to trust in Christ, even now. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.